All right, well, hey. Man, I like being in the room together. Uh, I see a lot of new faces this morning that I haven't seen in a while. That feels good. But we have figured out that when the room's a little bit less empty, if somebody says, hey, what's up? Like, you got to be louder because there's only, you know, so many people. So what's up? Hey, good morning. Hey, if you've been tracking with us, either uh, you've been here in the room or you've been online, we've been walking through these last few weeks. This is the last of a series we've been talking about what, what is church? You know, why is church? Why is it that, that we do this thing? And, um, you know, it just felt like it was a really good time to ask and answer that question. Just me personally, it's been, it's been really good. I think, you know, we've, we've had kind of this season where the, the pause button got pushed and life just looked really different for a, for a moment. And when that happens, I mean, in different, all different areas of life, but when that happens, especially something as significant as what Sunday morning looks like, it just feels like it's a really good time to go, all right, now is, I don't know if you're doing this in other areas of your life as well, but we're fixing to start things back up again. You know, each thing needs to go through a new filter. Like, all right, so that was on the schedule before. Does it get to go back on the schedule again? You know, is it significant enough that it matters? And so we just wanted to take a look at the scriptures and just talk that through. Is this, what, what this thing is, not, not just the Sunday morning, but the idea of us being together in church, is it something that, that should be included, that, that makes the cut, you know, in the new world? And so we started out asking the question, does it, does it even matter to God? I mean, what, does it really? I mean, is this something that he really wants from us? And, and Charlie, if you were here that week, Charlie talked about how Man, a lot of times when we look at the scriptures, we look at it and just immediately make it an I in this real personal thing with God, which it is. But man, there's so much of this we language and this picture of us as this unit that we just a lot of times just move right past in a very individualistic culture that we live in, you know? And so you've got, man, it, man, it does look like it's really import, important to God that we are together and, and connected, and he sees us as this family. And then you've got the, the early church. Was it really important to them? And man, you don't have to take very long reading through Acts just to see how big of a deal it was that they were united, especially in the middle of the persecutions that they were facing. And, and there was just this picture of they were breaking bread together and worshiping together, which is the picture of both, hey, they were celebrating and worshiping like this, but then they were also in each other's lives. It just seems really obvious. You know, we took a, a Sunday just to look at, at church history and the way that persecution has been a big part of that and the way that every time that the church faces opposition, it, they only link arms tighter and prove that this Jesus is real even more. And the way that also when truths of the scriptures are challenged, the way that they rally around and they say, no, that's not true. This is true. And, and there's something that happens when we, not just one person is saying it, but, but we come together collectively and say, no, this is true. And we're going to stand on it. Uh, Charlie, one Sunday talked about just individually, you know, does, does it really matter? I mean, you can live life and connect with God and out, be out in a cave somewhere. You can, but at the same time, all of these commands of scripture and of Jesus are all about this one anothering. And you can't really do that on an island. Like to really walk out those commands, I'm gonna have to be in connection with you and, and figure out how to do life together. Um, then last week we talked about just locally 
and in our community? Does it make a difference that we do this together and aren't just, you know, strung out and isolated? And then today, the last of this series, we're going to talk about what it means for the other side of the planet, because we've got the reality that the community that we live in is broken. You know, Charlie has said that a lot. He's used that word broken and has said to us, and I know that we would all agree now more than ever, that brokenness doesn't have to be like, we don't, he doesn't have to convince us <laughs> that, that it's chaotic and broken around us. We see it, and we see it now more than ever. And that's true around us close by, that there's chaos and darkness. But, man, the further you go out, and if you go 8,000 miles away, man, it, it only gets darker. And so what, does it matter that the church, Big C Church and the Grove Church exist and is united for that, for that bigger purpose. And so we're going to talk about that this morning, and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to lay all my cards on the table to start that I am fully determined to overwhelm you, completely. And then at the moment that you feel like you are completely overwhelmed, and you're like, whatever he's talking about, and whatever it appears like the Bible's trying to say this morning is too big, then in that moment... I'm hoping that uh, you'll kind of come up for air and realize that that's a good thing. It's kind of like the way I feel about there's certain truths of the scriptures that are (laughs) too complicated for my puny brain. And I have wrestled with some of them and come to the place that I'm like, you know what? I'm glad that there's some things that I'm, I'm too ignorant to understand because if God is so small that Mark Kyle Freeman can understand him, that is a problem. He is really small. So I'm glad there are some things that I can't get my mind around. And I am glad that the task out there and the thing that God wants us to be about is too big for me because if it was small enough that I, with my little water gun, could go put out the fire, then that's not much. But our God's love and what he's trying to do is so big that it's going to require all of us. And I am a notorious, uh, I'm notoriously bad at delegating anything. So I have just been that person that's like, I try to do it on my own and don't ask for help and don't ask for don't help and don't ask for help until I get in a really, really, really bad spot. And then I'm screaming and, you know, waving the white flag saying, please, somebody come save me. In fact, I remember we, a uh, house we lived in before last, it had a basement and it was when you had those big TV, you know, centers that were just these massive pieces of furniture. You know, if, I guess if you're under the age of 25, you may have never known these, these things because the TVs, the TVs, you know, weighed 400 pounds, but then the entertainment center that held them had to be 800. But anyway, we were trying to move this one from the ground floor down to the basement. And, and I thought, oh, no problem. I just flipped it over on the top where it was slick, you know, and put it on the stairs and got underneath it. And I was just like, I just, I just, you know, I'm not going up the stairs. I can just kind of walk it down the stairs. And now, no joke, as soon as it kind of hit the crest of that first stair, it just went, duh, 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 boom, and pinned me up against the wall. And then I'm just pinned up against the wall. And I'm like, all right, you know, I took a few attempts and it was obvious that it wasn't going anywhere. So then I had to scream and get some buddies to come help unpin me from the wall and get this piece of furniture. And then when there were four or five of us, it was no big deal. But when I was all by myself, it was impossible. Who did I think that I was? It feels like the brokenness on the planet is that furniture times a billion. And, you know, a lot of times we look at it and we're like, man, that's so big, 
So we'll just throw that piece of furniture away and not even move it. Instead of rallying together and saying, no, we're going to do something about this. I was thinking about there was a, a show we used to watch called uh, Man vs. Food. Anybody ever seen that show? I think, I think it's got a new version of it that's coming out. But what, ha- what would happen, this guy, he would go to all the places that had the food challenges, you know, where you had to eat the 72-ounce steak. 72 ounces in Amarillo, right? I think that's right. Uh, or the whatever, the big burrito, whatever the thing was, and he would try to beat the challenge. And, you know, every time, rarely would he be able to do it because it's just so much food. And then you know how those places work. Like, you don't eat the steak. It's like a $150 steak or something, you know? I mean, they're going to get you. But if you eat it, it's free. Now, how would he feel or how would you feel if you took on one of those challenges and you're like, bring the steak on, and then you get down to the end and you weren't able to do it, and there's a bunch of it left over, and you're forking out the money to pay for the steak, and then you read in the fine print that anybody at the table could have helped you. But you tried to take it on yourself. You're like, man, if we had just teamed up, we could have done this, but I tried to do it myself. And I think that that's where we find ourselves with, with this a lot of the times, is that we don't look at the giftings and the power that comes when we act like a family, when we act like the body of Christ, and we each bring our part to the table. We just look at it and go, well, that's too big. In fact, honestly, our world, this environment, I mean, I look at the struggles and, and obstacles that my own family faces, the struggles and obstacles that the people around me are facing, and it gets overwhelming real quick if I just think about trying to take that on myself. But God never intended it that way. Um, kind of to get us started and illustrate this, I wanted to tell you, if you see a little girl running around outside asking you to sign her pink cast, that's my daughter, Darcy. She's six, and she broke her arm last week. And um, she was trying to do the monkey bars, and she thought she could skip one of the rings. And she said the problem was her hands were a little slippery because she could totally do it. It was just, you know, she happened to be a little slippery that day. This this is the girl. She's already broken out a tooth. She's broken an arm. I have a feeling that this is just going to be kind of the way it works. But... Um, the day that she broke it, you know, daddy came and got her. We went to go uh, get, get a date, lunch date together before we went to the doctor. Then we went to the doctor. I'm telling you, you know, we've got a 17-year-old, a 14-year-old boy, and a, she's got a twin brother. And everybody always told me when you had a girl that it changed everything. <laughs> and I'm just telling you, I always said, no, no, no. But man, she got me and it's over. And so I'm just, you know, taking care of her, and we get in there, and she's sitting in the doctor's office, and I'm responding to people saying, hey, how's Darcy? We're praying for her. Is she okay? And she said, Daddy, what are you doing on your phone? And I said, well, baby, I'm answering all these people because they're asking how you are. And she kind of smiled, and she said, Daddy, there's a lot of people who, who are checking on me, aren't there? <laughs> yeah, honey, there are. That must mean I'm really special. Yeah, baby, it does. And when she got home and Jack got home from school, what's the first thing she said? Hey, Jack, there were a lot of people checking on me today, (laughs) praying for me because I'm really special. Now, I mean, you know, for a few weeks here, she's going to have to wear this cast. She's actually really proud of the pink cast. And that's what I'm saying. She probably will ask you to sign it even if she doesn't know you because that's just cool. She went to a couple birthday parties where they had some water there and she didn't get to do the water slide on the bump and jump. But, you know... You know, it, it is what it is. Um, don't laugh at my... 
Evidently, those aren't bumping jumps. There's another name for them. Uh, anyway, so that's the biggest hardship that she's going to have. You know, she's in this household where she is loved and cared for. And I just want to give you a snapshot. There are so many different examples that I could give of, you know, what the need that's out there. Again, brokenness doesn't have to be talked about a lot. You get it. But just the depth of the darkness. So, you know, the place that's really close to my heart, India, um, let's say that Darcy had been born there to a poor family. One thing, it, it would be amazing if she even made it to birth because the view of, of girls and those poor families, which realizes the bulk of the population, is that they're a drain on the family's finances completely. If you have a boy, that means that you know, you're going to raise him up and then he's going to then turn around and be the, the sole provider for, even for his parents. And he's going to marry and the girl's going to come into the family, but she's going to also, her family's going to give a dowry. So you're going to walk away you know, net positive. But if you've got this girl, then you're paying the dowry. So you raise her and then you also have to come up with this money to give her away. And so it's just a huge investment that has no return. So in the mind of of many uh, parents, it's like, well, we don't want to have a daughter. And so you really can't. I mean, it's very difficult to find some place in India. In fact, I think it's illegal to have an ultrasound done to try to find out the gender ahead of birth because if they find out or when they were finding out, they would abort the girls or find some way to terminate that pregnancy so that the girl girl would not be born because they didn't want a girl. I I read an article last week, a, a farmer thought that his wife, he assumed that it was probably a girl, and he took some farm tool and terminated the pregnancy and almost killed his wife too. And that's just, that's just every day. So let's say that Darcy, you know, did make it to birth. Well, now she's, she's a girl in, in a culture that doesn't have a very high view of women. If she's in a family that is of a, a lower caste, and what I mean by that is there's a, a system that is not just uh, this, this, a deep belief system that people are, have different values, intrinsic values, different families in the culture. And so if you were born of one of those higher families, then you, you've got some value. But if you are a girl born to one of those lower families, then you really are of no account. And uh, it's the, kind of the worst form of racism that you can imagine. In fact, if you walk down the street, you would see swastikas everywhere on doors and hallways and cars. And, uh, and the first time I saw that, I was like, why are there swastikas everywhere? Did somebody, like, why would they put it? And then I realized, oh, Hitler stole that from India because it was that symbol of one race being higher than another, of uh, people being of more value than somebody else. And that's still very, very real. And so let's say that Darcy is, is a girl from one of these families in one of those places, which again is this huge population. Well, now I finally get to the issue that just infuriates me. Rape in India is just rampant. So reported cases per day are about 100. But the experts say that there's 70% that are unreported. So if you do the math, I think that means that about every five minutes a girl is raped in India. And 30% of those are minors. All right? So one of the major things that causes this is out in the villages, again, most of the population, they don't have uh, toilets. 
or any you know, public place or in their homes where they can go to the restroom. And so they walk outside of the village to some private place, and th- th- that's where they, where they go to take care of their business. Well, for guys, that's one thing, but when a little girl walks out there and is alone, somebody she knows, the village is not all that big, somebody she knows will follow her, a man will follow her and get her alone and take advantage of her. And that happens often, and sometimes uh, that it's a rape and a murder, and no convictions. And that's just the way it is. Now, is that not, that's dark. Now, who's responsible for that, to do something about that? Is the Indian government responsible to do something about it? I would say there's some responsibility for sure. And they've taken steps. In fact, there's this huge movement to try to put toilets in in these different villages. But if they put toilets in, does that solve this problem? The problem I just described to you is much more than just you know, something that gets some money thrown at and then some physical answer. In fact, Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that uh, we do not wrestle against flesh and bone but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness. Keep that in mind because a lot of these passages we're going to look at today talk about this, this darkness and light. That is dark. But it says here that the struggle, yes, there is a physical struggle, flesh and bone, but the call here is to prayer because there is this deeper spiritual thing that's going on, this spiritual darkness that God is going to do something about it and only his power can impact. So you look at it and say, well, is this, is this God's responsibility? Does God care about it? Yes, God cares about that girl. In fact, this is the very nature of who God is. If you look back in uh, Genesis chapter 1, um, and here not talking specifically about that, but just talking about the character of our God, we start the Bible out by saying, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Now, we don't normally do the the Hebrew-Greek, you know, translation here just because we're not like, hey, giving you words that don't really matter. But I just thought it was cool. The Hebrew for this without form and void is tohu and bohu in the Hebrew. So I just think we, we should look around at chaos and when things are crazy, man, this is a bunch of tohu and bohu. It is without form and void. How many things right now could you look in your life and go, this is tohu and bohu, right? We need a t-shirt or something. Uh, Because when it's a t-shirt, it's official, right? Uh, He looked at it, and the earth was tohu and bohu, without form and void, chaotic, uh, with no form. And darkness was over the face of the deep. It was dark. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God stepped into that darkness stepped into that chaos and said, let there be light, and began to create and bring order and beauty. This is the picture of what Jesus does in in John chapter 1. It says, in the beginning was the word talking of Jesus, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not anything that was made Anything made was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And this light, Jesus, shines in darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. His light 
that he is is so bright that darkness cannot stop it. And what does he do? He takes the light and he takes it to dark places and he lights them up. That's what he does. That's who, that's who our Jesus is. Time out. If you're going to follow him, if we are going to follow him, then we find darkness and we light it up because that's what Jesus does. Sorry. And, and, um, and then verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the, the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth. He stepped out of order and beauty in heaven, and he came to chaos and darkness, and he embodied our Father. This is what, he, this is what God looks like. And so, now, what is, what is God going to do? Does he care about this girl, does he care about the darkness that we're talking about? What is he doing? Us. Us. So Jesus said that, um, that this power is going to come upon us in Acts chapter 1. It's going to make us his witnesses. The early church, that's, they became light instead of Jesus who chose to limit himself in time and space. Now he's in all of his, these followers, the children of God, with all these different giftings and attributes that are teaming together, that, eat, that we are the presence of the holy, real, true God on the planet, bringing order to chaos, bringing light to darkness. You know, it made me think, my, uh, my dad, if you around me very much, my dad's just somebody that I have always respected a whole lot. And uh, one of the, the things that's just really incredible, he's an incredible man of character, and what he has done for a lifetime is stepped into chaotic situations and brought order, <laughs> just what he does. He walks into the room, man, he, he will bring, if he walked into this room, he'd find something to bring order to it. Uh, he was a principal in, in Arkadelphia in 1977, a year after I was born, he started. And, you know, there, were a lot, there was a lot of racial tension at that time, and dad stepped in, and it was chaotic, and uh, he took a lot of shots for standing up for some of the black students and trying to bring order to it, but, but he, he did that. And then he went to a different place, and it seemed like every place that the Lord has had him, there's always been disorder, and he's brought order. In fact, when they moved up here, the principal at the high school was one of his old students, and dad said, hey, I'm willing to sub a little bit. I'm retired, not doing much. And so you know what the principal said? ISS. You're going to in-school suspension. And I thought, oh, man, if I was going to sub, what, what's the thing you would say? Please don't send me to ISS. Well, that's exactly where they sent my dad. And after that day, I was like, how'd it go? He's like, it was awesome. And I could just picture it. I wish I had been a bird, you know, in the, or a, whatever on the wall. Uh, when he walks in and everybody's like, hey, yeah, we're going to take advantage of this guy. <laughs> no. Nope. Um, but that's a godlike characteristic. He steps into disorder and chaos and brings order. Also, that made me think about just the body of Christ in the way that that may not be you. I don't know what part of the body, you know, that is. Maybe that's the fist. I don't know. But, but that may not be you, but we can't all be fist and we can't all be. We play these different roles. And when the body comes together, then God uses us. Christ is our head to have this incredible impact. Um. Tech Booth, I apologize. I'm going to skip a little bit here and go ahead to Matthew uh, chapter 5. We've mentioned this very time, several times through, the, through the, uh, this series that we are salt and light. And I just want to read this passage for you. It's uh, Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, 
You are the salt of the earth. But here's the point for today. If salt lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. As the body of Christ on the planet, we're supposed to be salty. We're supposed to bring flavor. We're supposed to preserve. Then he goes on. Um, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and then put it under a basket. It makes no sense. But they put it on a stand and it gives light to all that are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they can see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Salt not used for its purpose is pointless. A light put under a bowl is pointless. In the context, hey, my followers, if you extinguish your light, if you don't take it to dark places, then what's the point? Now, I'm going to say something here that's pretty controversial, and you may disagree with me, and that's okay, you're wrong. I have tried to uh, teach my boys well. Right now, I am, I'm driving a, a 1994 Jeep Wrangler that uh, has nearly 200,000 miles on it. And I, when I, as soon as I get started driving this thing, I tore the carpet out of it. And the minute that it was warm enough, I tore the top on it, off of it. And the top will not go back on until it's so cold that it, you're, you know, your teeth are chattering. Because in my personal opinion, I mean, it's got the smallest engine and I can't get it over 60. But in my personal opinion, the point of a Jeep is to ride with the top off, right? If you got something that you can take the top off of it, you're supposed to take the top off of it. And so, I mean, I've talked to people before that like, they, they paid 10 times for some Jeep, but they never take the top off of it. And I don't know, man, this may be uh, reverse snobbery. I asked Brennan if it was the other day. When you're driving down the road, you know, Jeep people all wave at each other. And man, some guy, you know, Jeep 10 times the cost of mine does this at me. I'm like, psh. You ain't got the top off. Oh, what are you even doing, man? What are we doing here? It's a Jeep. That's the point. Y'all, the believer that's isolated and taking their light and put it in their bowl is absolutely pointless. We are supposed to be united. And we are supposed to be making sure that our light shines as bright as possible a mile away and 8,000 miles away. That's what we're here to do. And if you're not, look what he says. You might as well throw that salt out and let people walk over the top of it. It's pointless. Another way to say it is, I mean, honestly, you guys, if, if I have turned from my sin and I've trusted in Christ and I have salvation in him and I have eternity with him and I'm just going to sit here and put, my, put the cup over my light, I might as well just go home because I don't have any purpose here anymore. If I'm not going to love on others, if I'm not going to shine my light, then what am I doing? Matthew chapter 18, this is right after Peter confesses that uh, Jesus is the Christ. Jesus says to him, you are Peter, and on this rock, that confession of Jesus as the Christ, I will build my church. And he says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Have you ever been chased down by a gate? Maybe the last time you were in a saloon and they had one of those swinging doors. You may have been to a saloon. You have to walk out. That's the only t- I've never been chased by a gate. But all along when I've seen this verse and, you know, before, I, I used to think, oh, yeah, that's telling me that, that hell's going to be chasing us down, but it's not going to overcome us. Gates don't chase anybody. You chase gates. We are on the offense, not on the defense. The darkness cannot withstand the light that is within us, especially when, when, you're, united, when, when you're united. You know, I think about uh, the, the candlelight service every year, which is just awesome. If you haven't been here for a candlelight service, you got to be out. I think we could do it every Sunday and it wouldn't get old. When the room is completely dark and then there's one light and another light and it kind of takes over the front row and then it starts to move its way back and in the beginning maybe one light doesn't light this dark room up and maybe 20 don't light it up but by the time this room is full and everybody's light is lit it's brighter than it is right now in here the the darkness cannot overcome the light that is within us you know you know Monty Python uh, when King Arthur and Patsy go up to the castle, you know, and they're riding. Well, they're not riding. They've got the, the coconut thing. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And, and they get up there, and then they have the, the, you know, the argument about how did the coconuts get here? What swallow does it? But anyway, that is not us. A couple of us trying to take down a castle. That's not, that's not what this is. We are this united, huge group of people who all bring different gifts to the table, and our light, united, is bright and unstoppable. The darkness cannot stop it. You might not feel today like you're very involved in that, but you, you are. If you've been a part of the grow of any time at all, there's a lot of things that are going on that you might not even know about. Uh, a couple weeks ago, there are a bunch of people who have made their home in India, in the places that I'm talking about, that because of uh, virus restrictions had to leave the country and have been out for six months. And they came to Northwest Arkansas, several of the key leaders, and met to discuss how they're going to make their transition back in. And the Grove Church paid for that and led that. And many of those in that room, we sent out. They left from here. And you are part of that. Now, how big a part of that you planted, I don't know. You could play a huge role. We've got, that's, what, those, those, that's just one example of the things that we're doing. And while we were there, a guy that's kind of a mission expert came and talked to us. And he said that, I mean, the world over, in some of those darkest places, Christian workers have had, they had to leave. And now it's really difficult for them to get back in. A lot of them, while they've been out, have found some other occupation to take. And so the number of those workers has dwindled. The finances, because of the way that everybody's been hit financially, the finances to support it have gone down. The need has only gotten bigger, right? Because you imagine all of the hardships that we've known, well, imagine those really 
hard, dark places and how those same hardships exist, except you are already struggling to find food for your family and now there's nothing and there's nothing to support it. And the group has gotten smaller and the support of it has gotten weaker. And so this next go, this next season is going to be a huge question to the church. Are we going to, are, are new people going to go? Are we going to support? Are we going to take it seriously? Or is ours going to be the generation that goes, no, that's somebody else's problem? Not the Grove. <laughs> Not us. That, that's the point that you say amen. If anybody wants to say amen. We don't do that a lot, but that was kind of one of those moments. Anyway, hey, as we close out today and we sing a few songs together, uh, there's, you may have never even noticed it, but on the back wall, there's some cards, some prayer cards for some of those people that I was just talking about and others that have gone out from the Grove. And this is a great time on a Sunday to go back there and to, you know, to read about them a little bit and to pray for them. There, there's many, several of them, so you can take one home and pray for them and commit that on your own. There are steps that we can take together, but the big thing I want us to walk out of here this morning feeling is that this thing is massive and the need is incredible. Now, the darkness is as dark as it's ever been, but our God has not changed a bit and His light is powerful and it's in you. And when we come together, we're going to be amazed. Revelation 7, 9 says that when it's all said and done, all the nations and all the peoples are going to be there praising Him. And we get to be a part of that. Let me pray for us.